Hi, I'm Tiffany. And I'm Lindsay. And this is Luminol, Luminol Cocktail. Cocktail. Are you ready to hear about my eventful evening mm-hmm. last night? Mm-hmm. That's Hello, related friends. to the podcast somehow? It is true crime related yes. <laughs> because I called the cops last night. Oh, exciting. You guys can't see, but I brought a very large coffee with me because mm-hmm. I didn't sleep last night. I got maybe two hours of sleep last night. I am dead as a person. I'm right surprised now. you're here, though. You know what? <laughs> I almost wasn't. Story time. Yes. Ian and I mm-hmm. had separate plans. Basically, the plans he was supposed to do the weekend that my hand got broken, that he canceled for my hand, is what they did. So you go to that, I'll go hang out with my friends from work. Mm-hmm. And so I was going to be home alone after being done with my other plans. I have two dogs. I'm not concerned about it. Well, nine o'clock, I was feeding them their dinner. In my dining room, there's these two glass French doors. They open up into my backyard and my backyard has no light. There's like one um, motion sensor light, but that's it. I fed the puppy in her kennel and then I fed Zed. He eats in the dining room. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was turning to walk back into the living room and I saw something move out the corner of my eye. Mm -hmm. And I turned and looked and it looked like there was a person walking across my backyard and like standing like near the corner where like of my deck where the motion sensor light doesn't reach. Mm -hmm. And I was like, deep breath in, deep breath out. Also that French door was not locked. Like I looked away and I was like, I might just be seeing things like I'm paranoid. You're all, yeah. I'm by myself. Yeah. So I say. am who I am. Also, it's like, like your worst fear ever. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I'm probably just like seeing things. So I turn to look back and I see movement again. And this time Zed sees it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck, if he sees it too, that means there's something there. You've been validated. Exactly. And my dogs, like both of my dogs are hound mixes. So they're eternally hungry. Both of them left their food. Velma came from a different room because she, I guess, heard something and they both went ham. Both of them like had their hackles up and everything. And I was like, fuck, fuck, fuck. And so then I tried calling Ian, but he didn't answer. So I called my mom because that's what smart people do, I guess. Not the police. No. (laughs) I was like, mommy, what do I do? And she was like, call the cops. And I was like, yeah, you're right. But if I don't call you back in five minutes, call 911 because I'm dead. Mm-hmm. Or being attacked. Exactly. Yeah. And so she was like, all right, you have five minutes. I'm starting a timer. And I was like, okay. So I called the cops and I was like, so here's what's going on. Here's my address. I thought I saw somebody, thought I was being paranoid. Now my dogs are trying to attack the glass, which they have never done. And so she was like, all right, we're going to send an officer. Like, do you need to make a police report, do you think? And I was like, well, like, I didn't see any, like, identifying features of anyone. Also, nothing happened. Exactly. I was like, so I don't know that you guys would want me to make a report about my dogs going ham. So the police officers came. I was, like, hiding in the corner of my living room because I wanted to be at the front of the house near the doors. Fair. And not, like, in the back towards the bedroom. So, like, they came... And by this point, like, the dogs had calmed down mm-hmm. a considerable amount. Like, they went back and they ate. Zed was still pacing and, like, staring outside. Mm-hmm. Um, but Velma was pretty chill. The police officers came. They looked around my backyard. They walked the premise, whatever. But I felt bad now because, like, both my dogs needed to go out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I called my mom back. 
And I was like, can you just be on the phone? Like, they just came and checked and, like, everything's fine. But I just want somebody on the phone with me mm-hmm. while I'm, like, checking this stuff out. Or while I open the door to let the dogs out. I talked to my mom for, like, an hour and a half until, like, 11.30. And I was falling asleep. And I fell asleep on the couch in the living room with all the lights on and Grey's Anatomy on the TV. Then my roommate got home probably, like, 20 minutes after I fell asleep. Mm-hmm. I explained everything that had gone on to him. He checked the backyard again. And this time when we let the dogs out, like, number one, they were glued to me. But when they finally would leave me alone, Zed would not leave the area where I thought I had seen the person. Like, he just kept sniffing the ground and sniffing the ground. And this morning when I let them out, it was the same thing. Like, they first didn't want to leave me. And then once they did, Velma basically sniffed a whole trail from the gate to the area where I thought I saw a person to the other side of our fence. That's super scary. Yeah, so once Jason, our roommate, got home, he was like, well, I'll sleep with my shorts on tonight. So if you need anything, <laughs> you can bust up in my room. Don't worry. It's like, thank you, sir. Appreciate so, you. So do you have to, like, contact your, your, like, the person you rent the house from? Yeah. I mean, I don't think we have to, but I think we probably will. Just... Can you, can you do like, anything? Hello? Not really. Like, I mean, we could set up, like, we could do cameras or whatever if mm-hmm. we wanted to. Well, someone popped through your gate. Right. Yeah. Is there, like, another... I would like to put a lock on it. Honestly. That's what I was going to say, yeah. Is there, like, another kind of lock you can put yeah. on it? I think we should put a lock. But, like, ultimately, like, if this person left the way, the trail that the, my dog sniffed, I don't know if that's... But basically, like, it was from the gate they went in, but then the other side. Mm-hmm. Because the fence is kind of warped there, Mm -hmm. so it would be very easy to, like, climb over it. Mm -hmm. Have you guys checked all of, like, the windows and stuff? Yeah. There is really nothing. The part, the only thing that bothered me. Do all the windows lock? Yes. Okay. The only thing that bothered me today was that the door to the garage was unlocked last night. Mm Mm-hmm. And we have an attic in the garage, and you know that's also one of my great fears is that people hide in the fucking attic. Also in my neighborhood, this the past few weeks, like people have had their cars broken into, mm-hmm. and then like at three o'clock in the morning, when I was awake, uh, I heard somebody's car alarm alarm going off, and mm-hmm. it went off for a good probably five to seven minutes. Jesus. So it's not like oh somebody was leaving for work or getting home from work and accidentally yeah. pressed a button, right? Because you would fix that real quick. It was something set it off. Ian was like, you could have been murdered. And I was like, well, if it's the person breaking into the car, that wouldn't really follow the escalation. Because if this is their area they're working in, I would most likely just be like, potentially assaulted. I was going to say assaulted, yeah. I was going to say, like, I would probably be assaulted. I probably wouldn't be murdered since there haven't been anything. Like, this would just be the first step of escalation. So I probably would live, but I would have some scars. Well, if you're ever in trouble, I'm definitely the person to call because I took some personality tests and I'm the protector. So, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, apparently so is Zed. <laughs> yeah. If, um, yeah, definitely if you feel like you, you have no one else to come check on you, you can always call me your right. Alex. <laughs> so, well, like my mom Alex also was like, works right over there too. True. So my mom was like, I can drive down there and stay with you tonight. And I was like, I appreciate that. But it's okay. I'm tr- I'm trying to be a grown I just, up. I just mean in, in future, yes. if ever, like, you are alone again. Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason why it's my biggest fucking fear is because it happens too goddamn much to me. I don't know what my biggest fear would be as far as that goes. 
I do get, I do, not like, like, you can see, like, if you look into the woods, you can obviously see, like, the houses beyond it. Like, you can hear people and stuff on the other side of it. But I get pissed every time. Because when I leave for work, it's, like, 1130 in the morning. Right. But I know by the time I get home, it's going to be super fucking dark. And there's just woods there. Nothing else. Yeah, that I don't like. (laughs) And I will turn the light on. And Alex, if he leaves after me, will turn it off. And I'm like, God fucking damn it. (laughs) You have to get, like, one of those ones you can turn on from, like, your phone. Well, now I have a a ring doorbell. So if I get murdered, someone can see my attacker. Yeah. Maybe you should get one. Yeah. I don't know how much they are. You would think that... Like, I grew up in the woods. That doesn't mean it's not scary. <laughs> right. You would think it would intimidate me less, almost. Like, I remember... Mm-mm. Also, I've now uh, researched skinwalkers. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no, honey. So, I am actually really good on my feet. So, I know I should be scared of getting lost in the woods. But, like, here, I'm not scared of I it. I mean, like, lost because, like... Not like, You're oh. You're being brutally chased and attacked. Yes. Like, like someone is stalking yeah. me and was like terrorizing me. Like that kind of, which I know is probably very rarely ever but happening. But it does happen. But it does happen. I think that might be my worst. Because there's nothing out there to protect you. That's true. Or, and you can't call for help sometimes. And if right. you do like, oh, I'm by a tree. <laughs> I was going to say also, if you're like, help, you're showing exactly where you're fucking at. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no hiding really. Yeah. yeah. I, that might be the biggest one. That's a fair, it's a fair one. I've seen a lot of horror movies, obviously. So yeah, that was my, uh, excitement slash spooky. traumatizing event from last night. That's super traumatizing. Why? why? You were alone and like. I was alone in the house and somebody was fucking watching me. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like, like that's either the they they were literally just there to watch you, or they were trying to break in. But right. like, either way, it's not good. No, it's like I said, I didn't really sleep last night, and when I did, I had like really bad stress dreams. Of course. So, on a positive note, we just got a new knife set. Oh, so ooh. I was like, you know what? Extra if someone knives. breaks in, I'm fucking prepared. You handled it really well. I'm proud of myself because past Tiffany. I think we've talked about how you would handle it exactly. on previous episodes, and it was not like that. No, it really wasn't. It was a lot more screaming and mm-hmm. freaking out. So I'm glad that I handled it calmly. Here's hoping this person never comes back. So, yeah, that's what's up in my life. More helpful things to say. I mean, there's really not much to do at this point. Honestly, it could just be well, like there's just a lot of things you could do. Right. But. I feel like... I'm hopeful that last night was whoever or whatever was going on. I'm hoping that last night with what the dogs did and how quickly the police were there, because they were there in less than 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that with how quickly like the responses were, if somebody was watching, like then they would watch and see what the response was, mm-hmm. I feel like. So hopefully everything that went on last night was enough of a deterrent to be like, this bitch too much work. There's really not a good segue for this. Not really, because we're talking about scams, and I'm trying to think if there's a segue here. There's really not. I've been thinking about one basically all morning. Yeah. There's really not a good path to get from a home invasion potential stalker whatever to scams. It's fine. Now that we're done with Tiffany's trauma corner, we can move on. 
So today we're talking about scams. Yeah, I don't have a drink. Do you just, you, what's your favorite drink? What would you want to drink if you were listening to scams? If I was a scam artist, I would drink nothing but martinis all the See, time. See, that's what I was thinking, martinis, yeah. I, and you, dirty, teenies. <laughs> dirty, dirty, dirty martinis. You know, my jam. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, so scams. Do we need to take a break? Before we sure, let's take a break and then we'll get back. We'll to jump this. right back in to some scams for you guys. So, so we're back now. We're back. Yeah, and we are talking about scams. Um, do you, did you have any fun facts about scams? Um, well, my only fun facts are <laughs> about your case. So my case, yeah. Oh. Well, because I was, like, looking up, like, origin, like, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, this is one of, like, considered the original scam. And I was like, well, that's fucking Lindsay's case, so <laughs> can't really get fun facts from that. Uh, yeah. So, fun fact. Lindsay picked a good one. It's really kind of boring, though. It's a lot of money. It's a, it's a lot right. of that. Um, but so much history. Yes. And so much I mean, it's, it is the original. Right. It is the scam. Yeah. It's the scam of all scams. Except for perhaps religion, but oh, that's yeah. another conversation. That's a different kind of scam. <laughs> <laughs> Since, as Tiffany said, I'm doing the scams of scams, talking about Charles Ponzi. Woo! Ooh. So to give some information, uh, he was born, a super long name that I can't pronounce, I'm going to try though, Carlo... Pietro Giovanni. Nope, gonna butcher that one. Gonna butcher that one. Ponzi. <laughs> Look at how long his name is. Carlo Pietro Giovanni. My apologies to everybody that I have just offended. <laughs> yeah, he was born on March 3rd, 1882, in Italy. Somewhere in Italy, specifically. Um, though, he would later tell the New York Times that he'd come from a family in Parma. Okay. I don't know. I'm from America. I'm very uneducated here in the rest of the world. So, you know, don't know where things are located. Um, um, I think Parma, Parma's another city in Italy. I didn't know what the difference, like, what if it mattered. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> All I know is that it's another city Do you city think there. that's where chicken parm is from? Parmesan cheese, perhaps. Yeah. We just lost all of our views. Literally, <laughs> all three of you in Italy who listen, I'm so sorry. Uh, I, I want to go to Italy. Yes. Yeah. I want to go everywhere. Same. We should just do it. We'll just do it. You know the boys want to go to Vegas? We'll go to Europe. There you go. It's done. <laughs> um... So Ponzi came from a well-to-do family, but they had fallen upon hard times with little to no money. So because of this, Ponzi took a job as a postal worker. However, he was accepted to a univer the University of Rome shortly after accepting that job. And Ponzi's richer friends considered this university a four-year vacation. So Ponzi followed them around to bars, cafes, and even the opera, which meant Ponzi spent all of his money, resulting in him becoming, like, out of college... Broke, but with a degree, nonetheless. Still broke. As most college students are. Sorry, without a degree. Oh. <laughs> I thought I said with a degree. I, I did say with, but I, I misread. No degree and zero dollars. Because he probably couldn't pay for it anymore. Big oof. 
feel that pain also. At the time, Italian boys were migrating. Is it migrating? Is that the right word? Mm-hmm. Feels like birds migrate. People shouldn't migrate. People migrate. Where feels- do you think birds get it from? We probably get it natural from natural instinct. <laughs> you right, Jesus. Jesus tell them <laughs> when it's time to and go. And then God said, "Birds, ye shall migrate." Yes, that one. We should write a children's book on explaining the Bible and how animals and people do things. <laughs> oh, God. So, Italian boys were migrating to the U.S. at this time and would return to Italy with riches. So, Ponzi's family encouraged him to do the same because, like, why not? They have nothing. So, Charles Ponzi arrived in Boston on November 15th, 1903. And according to Ponzi, he had $2.50 in his pocket after gambling away the rest of his savings during the voyage. That was smart. Well, you know, he's, maybe he was gonna—he was gonna make it big. Okay. <laughs> uh, Ponzi quickly learned English and spent the next few years completing odd jobs along the East Coast. Eventually, Ponzi landed a job as a dishwasher in a restaurant where he also slept on the floor. Hmm. He worked hard and became a waiter there until he was fired for theft and shortchanging customers. Big oof. This is gonna be a reoccurring theme in Mr. Ponzi's life. Four years later. Charles Ponzi moved to Montreal, Quebec, Canada. I forgot because there's a lot. There's a lot to say there. Yeah, uh, and he earned a job as an assistant teller in the newly opened Banco Sarasi Bank. Uh, this bank was started by Luigi Lu, Lu, Luigi. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Luigi Sarasi to service the influx of Italian immigrants arriving in the city. It is here that Charles Ponzi first saw the scheme of robbing Peter to pay Paul, which would later become the Ponzi scheme. Uh-huh. So, if anyone doesn't understand what that means, it means you are taking money from someone to pay an old debt to another individual. And you're going to just repeat that process, but pay but pay the next person that you owe money right. to. You just keep passing other people's yes. money around. So, Zarossi, I think is how you say it, paid 6% interest on bank deposits, which was double the going rate at the time, but this was growing rapidly as a result. Charles Ponzi eventually became a bank manager, which is when Ponzi realized that the bank was in serious financial trouble due to bad real estate loans. To make things worse, Zarossi was funding the interest payments through money deposited in newly opened accounts, not through investment profits. So, this bank was stealing money from its customers. Oh, geez. Basically, to pay... To pay the other customers. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So this is where he really got his idea from, was this whole bank. Um, Of course, the bank eventually failed, and Zerosi fled to Mexico with a rather large sum of the bank's money. Be like that sometimes. Um, Charles Ponzi stayed in Montreal and even lived with the Zerosi's, like, family and house, and he helped take care of the abandoned family that Zerosi left behind. Uh, He did this all while planning to return to the U.S. to start over in his endeavor to riches. So Ponzi walked into the offices of former Zerosi customer, found no one there, and wrote himself a check for $423.58 and a found checkbook where Ponzi forged the signature of the director of this company. Okay. Very ballsy. Yeah. You just look like you belong somewhere. No one's going to question you. I guess. (laughs) I don't know. However, police did confront him. him. Well, until police confronted him. Uh, And he did confess to the crime, which uh, ended up in a three-year stay at St. Vincent de Paul Federal Penitentiary. Thank you. Which was located on the outskirts of Montreal. Some words, like, just can't 
they just don't come out. Like yeah. you see them and you know what they. I say, know what but what you it can't is. Can't make your mouth. Do yeah, that. I feel really stupid because it's like I can't make my mouth do it, but it's okay. Head trauma, I guess. <laughs> it's you know, it's better than me, serial killer. I guess it's true. You know. Charles Ponzi wrote a letter to his mother explaining that he'd been hired as a special assistant to a prison warden, though, while he was oh, in, in jail. Prison. That's one way of handling that. You know, a lie. He's just, he likes to lie. I see that. Uh, Ponzi was released in 1911, and he decided to head back to the U.S., but he got involved in smuggling illegal Italian immigrants across the border. He spent another two years in an Atlanta prison, uh, and this time he became a translator to the warden, who was intercepting letters from mobster... The Wolf Lupo, I think is how it is. However, Charles Ponzi befriended Lupo instead and another inmate named Charles W. Morse. And uh, Morse was a wealthy Wall Street businessman. So he's getting he's getting the... Making some friends. Yeah, he's got the deeds, you know. After Ponzi was released from this prison, he made his way back to Boston. There, Ponzi became um, a mining camp nurse, which is where he got the idea to go to another mining camp and start a utility there to supply water and power and ultimately selling its stock. However, another nurse named Pearl suffered severe burns in an accident, and Charles Ponzi volunteered to two major operations to donate 220 square inches of his skin to Pearl. Damn. Yes. Um, this caused him to lose his job due to an illness related to the donation. Fuck. So that didn't work. But he continued to search for work. Gotta say, he never stopped. Yeah. Never slowed down. Um, and this is where he found a lovely woman named Rose Maria. And the couple married in 1918. And for the next couple of months, Ponzi worked at multiple businesses. Ponzi took over um, Maria's family's fruit company for a short time, too. But soon after he took over, it failed. Charles Ponzi was still in search of a way to become rich. So in the summer of 1919... He decided to set up a small office in Boston where he would write to people he knew in Europe trying to sell them ideas of opportunities. After a few weeks, a company from Spain wrote asking about the advertising catalog with an international reply coupon inside the envelope. This was something Ponzi had never seen before, but he found a weakness in the system that could possibly allow him to make money. Mm Mm-hmm. So the purpose of this coupon allows someone in one country to send it to a correspondent in another country who could then use it to pay postage of a reply. So RRCs were priced at the cost of postage in the country of purchase, but they could be exchanged for stamps to cover the cost of postage in another country where it was redeemed. So basically, if their values were different, there was a potential profit, which is kind of what he was thinking he could do by getting stamps for a certain price overseas and exchange them for a higher price here and make money. Okay. Was this whole thing. Inflation after World War I had decreased the cost of postage in Italy, and expressed in U.S. dollars, which meant that an IRC could be bought cheaply in Italy in exchange for U.S. stamps of higher value, which could then be sold. So that was his whole plan, was that's how he was going to get rich. Ponzi claimed the net profit of these transactions after expenses and exchange rates was in excess of 400%, which is a lot. Yeah. Charles Ponzi was profiting by buying these IRCs at a lower price in one market and immediately selling it in a market where the price is higher, which is completely legal. Apparently, some people thought it was illegal, but it's not. And you can still do it today, actually. Oh. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, then. According to my research. Okay, I could be wrong, but... (laughs) We're not legal advisors. (laughs) Do not listen to anything I'm saying. (laughs) So, he saw this opportunity and decided to set up a stock company to raise money from the public. He also asked several, several of his friends for money, promising to double their investment in 90 days. Okay. Yeah. 
Some people invested and were paid off as promised, receiving 750 interest on initial investments of $1,250. Okay. That's pretty good. Yeah. It's really good. By 1920, Charles Ponzi started his own company, the Securities Exchange Company, to further promote this scheme. Within the first month, 18 people invested with a total of $1,800. He paid them promptly for the next month with money obtained from the newest set of investors. Uh-huh. When Ponzi set up a larger office and investments came in at an ever-increasing rate, Ponzi had, like, he, he had to hire people. Shit. Yeah, he hired agents and paid them commission. Huh. With money he didn't have. Yeah. So the total amount invested had risen from five thousand to twenty five thousand in one month. And by the um, and by the way, uh, it's sixty thousand to three hundred and twenty thousand today. Shit. That is that's the difference. Shit. So if you're looking for a real day amount, it's that. So like I said, Ponzi began hiring agents to seek out new investors in New England and New Jersey. By May of 1920, Charles Ponzi had made four hundred and twenty dollars, which is equivalent to five million today. Yeah. By June in 1920, people had invested $2.5 million in Ponzi scheme, which is equivalent to $32 million today. People are just throwing money away. Just chucking dollars at in this In 1920. <laughs> which is not a good time. Right. That was not a time for that. <laughs> it's kind of similar to this time right now. Right. <laughs> so... So even though the company was bringing in high sums of money each day, it would have been obvious by any financial analysis that the operation was running at a large loss. Yeah. Yeah. So as long as money kept flowing in, existing investors could be paid off with new money. This was the only way Ponzi planned to continue providing returns, and he made no real effort to generate legitimate profits. I was going to say, and the only way to continue that is if it keeps growing, because if you reach a point where it stabilizes. Okay. Sorry. Mm -hmm. No. (laughs) I mean, no, you're entirely correct. So, Ponzi realized too late that the changing of IRCs to cash was not possible. Like, logically made no sense. So, that didn't stop Ponzi, though, and he continued to take investments in living a life of luxury with other people's money. As one does. (laughs) He bought a mansion and maintained several bank accounts across New England. Hashtag American Dream. He bought a local mobile, which was one of the finest cars of the time. lovely. Yeah. He spent money on traveling and later donated $100,000 to the Italian child's home in honor of his recently deceased mother. Which, like, cool, but you don't have that money to donate, bro. No, no. But like any good scheme, Ponzi's rapid rise drew in suspicion. In fact, a Boston financial writer suggested there's no way Ponzi could deliver such high returns in the short time he promised. And this is kind of what started the downfall. Like, people were like, hmm... That makes sense. Why Why is this happening? Right. How is this happening? Right. So, but Ponzi sued them. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't know anything. And sued Slander. them. And he actually won $500,000 in damages. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll help keep it going a little longer. So, however, like I said, people started questioning this. And uh, they wanted to know how Ponzi could have turned his life around so quickly. Because he came from nothing and now has millions of dollar, right. dollars. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. So, the Boston Post publisher, Richard something uh and city editor eddie dunn assigned investigative reporter to look into charles ponzi the massachusetts authorities were also investigating ponzi but he managed to stop the officials from checking his books by promising to stop taking money during the investigation so he's like i won't take any more money it's fine Mm -hmm. now the money i do have though you know this didn't stop the post though they continued they actually started a series of articles about ponzi's money machine operation Mm -hmm. Of course, to combat that, Ponzi hired a publicist and um, 
That didn't go too well, because the public also became suspicious of Ponzi's endless talk of postal, like, reply coupons in addition to the ongoing investigation. Right. It's very obvious something's wrong. Um, the end of Ponzi's scheme began when the publicist found several highly incriminating documents that Ponzi was, in fact, robbing Peter to pay Paul, like uh-huh. I said. The publicist sold the story for $5,000, which was printed on August 2nd, 1920, and this led to bank commissioner to notice that Ponzi's accounts had received more than $250,000 in loans and insisted two bank examiners keep an eye on Ponzi's accounts. Yeah. Didn't really stop his business yet, but it did. It, br- it brought more attention from other people. Right. The spotlight was on him. Yeah, like other bank officials were paying attention and stuff like that. So an audit revealed that Charles Ponzi was $7 million in debt. And by August 11th, it was all over for Ponzi. The Post published a front page story about Ponzi's criminal activities from the previous years. And um, Charles Ponzi surrendered to federal authorities and was charged with mail fraud. He was released on 25,000 bail, but was immediately rearrested on state charges of um, larceny, which Ponzi posted an additional $10,000 bond. After the post released to the audit figures, the bondsman feared Ponzi would flee the country and quickly withdrew the bail for the federal charges. So he's like, no, 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 come back. Just kidding. (laughs) Yeah. So in addition to the collapse of the uh, Hanover Trust Bank, five other banks were brought to their knees as well due to the news of this scam. The investors lost about $20 million, which is about $196 million today. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Charles Ponzi was charged with 86 counts of mail fraud and faced life imprisonment. He pleaded guilty on November 1st, 1920 to a single count before Judge Clarence. Um, Ponzi received five years in federal prison, and then he was released after three and a half years. But almost immediately, he was indicted on oh 22 state charges of larceny again. I was going to say, hold on, that can't be it. <laughs> Ponzi sued, claiming he would be facing double jeopardy in the case Ponzi versus Fessenden? F-E-S-S-E-N-D-E-N. Fessenden? That's okay. That's what I said. Yeah. Made it all the way to the Supreme Court. On March 27th, 1922, the Supreme Court ruled that Ponzi was not facing double jeopardy. So, <laughs> oh well. Um, Ponzi served as his own attorney and actually convinced the jurors to acquit him on all charges. Shit. Yeah. During the second trial for the five remaining charges, the jury was deadlocked. At the third trial, because it took three of them, Ponzi was found guilty and sentenced to an additional seven and nine years in prison. Mm -hmm. Gullible investors continued to send him requests to invest money, though, from his prison cell. They still sent him money and were like, please invest. So when he got out, he had another scheme ready to go. And this took place in Springfield, Florida in 1925. This time, he offered investors tracts of land um, underwater uh, and promises of two, 200% returns in mm-hmm. 60 days. So Charles was indicted in February 1926 uh-huh. and charged with violating Florida trust and security laws. How would you... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Ponzi was freed after posting about... bond and traveled to Tampa, Florida. He shaved his head, grew a mustache, and attempted to flee the country as a crewman on a merchant ship headed for Italy. He's like, I am done with the States. Peace in the fuck out. Yeah. However, he told a shipmate about his real identity, which allowed for word to spread. You dumb bitch. And the deputy sheriff followed the ship to the last American post and placed Charles Ponzi under arrest. Nice. Yeah. After Charles Ponzi was released in 1934... An immediate order to have him deported in Italy followed. Once in Italy, Ponzi jumped from scheme to scheme. Eventually, he worked as an agent for the Italian state airline. Once the airline's operation in the country was shut down, Ponzi wrote his autobiography. Oh. Yes. 
So he spent the last years of his life in poverty, which he pretty much spent all of his life in poverty, if you think about it. In 1941, um, a heart attack left Ponzi weakened, and by 1948, he was almost completely blind. A brain hemorrhage paralyzed his right leg and arm, and Ponzi died in a charity hospital on January 18th, uh, 1949. Birthday. <laughs> yep. We share a day together. Aw. How special. <laughs> Charles Ponzi allowed one last interview to an American reporter saying, even if they never got anything for it, it was cheap at that price. Without malice aforethought, I had given them the best show that was ever staged in their territory since the landing of the Pilgrims. It was easily worth 15 million bucks to watch me put the thing over. All right, sir. And that, that was the last, really the last that thing he, he ever went on the record saying before he died. Wow. So that's a Ponzi scheme. Yeah, that's the, uh, I'm going to take it from you real quick and give it to you over here. The original, the original scam. Yeah. I like it. It's a lot of facts. It, well, it's like, it's simple, but that's how it works. Simplistic in its design, but effective, I guess. For a period of time. I mean, people were giving him money while he was in jail. Right. Also, Florida people, did you guys not know that he had already, like, gotten, like, convicted of these charges? Well, this time he was offering them other things. But still, (laughs) like, what the fuck? I don't know. What are you doing with your life choices, Florida? People have too much money. I guess so. Must be hard. Then give some to me. Yeah. They have too much. That would be nice. I will gladly take donations. Again. You too can, uh... Right. <laughs> How much would you need a day, do you think? Oh, God. <laughs> I want to think about that. That gives me heartburn. Think about doing a scam. Oh, <laughs> it's like, what? Having, like, running a scam gives, like, it... Ugh. You'd not be a good criminal. No. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, God, I need, I need man acid. <laughs> do you have any toes? <laughs> yeah. I actually don't know what your scam is. Oh, mine is much more recent, but Exciting. like yours, it was very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am talking about the Anna Delvey scam. Mm. Yes, yes. So Anna Delvey ran in some of the most exclusive New York social scenes. She lived at 11 Howard, an upscale hotel in Soho, and wore all designer clothing, never tipped less than $100 cash. Okay. She was... Like a favorite among the workers at this hotel. (laughs) And employees would talk about how they would fight over being the one allowed to deliver her packages. Because you knew if you were taking her something, you were guaranteed $100 at least. Mm -hmm. She was compared to being a princess who was plucked from an old European castle. So basically, like, her demeanor was that, was of someone who was accustomed to always having someone to pay them attention. Um, even if it meant laying down stacks of cash in order to have someone look your way. Like, um, an employee at this hotel gave an interview Mm -hmm. and was talking about it and how, like, there was one period of time where it's, like, when she wanted attention or wanted something, she wanted it right then and she didn't care if there were a line of people. She would literally go there and be like, I need something and just lay down hundreds until they stopped what they were doing and paid attention to her. Oh, that's nice. So yeah, super chill. With the help of her trust fund that was supposed to kick in when she was 25, Mm -hmm. she planned to use her millions to open her own foundation, with the epicenter being a combination restaurant slash club slash art space slash hotel in New York. The biggest problem was that her family was from Germany, and at times it caused things to be like locked up financially, so like 
the currency transfer sometimes didn't go as smoothly as one would like. In spite of what seemed to be a constant flow of $100 bills, she would occasionally need friends to help with things that required more than whatever cash she was currently carrying. This meant if you were going to dinner with Anna or even an around-the-world trip, there was always the chance she would ask you to cover it with the promise that she was going to pay you back later. Mm -hmm. Trouble was, later never seemed to come. (laughs) For most people, it wasn't an issue, though. Because she was running in some of the, like, most elite social circles of New York City. Apparently, when you have lots of money, you tend to be a little less stressed when you don't get paid back immediately. Whether it's $30 or $3,000. Some people wondered when they'd get paid back, but most did so quietly. She knew all the right people and was in all the right places. And there'd be no way for her to obtain that type of social currency without having the financial currency to back it up. There are people who talk about they organized trips with her and she was like, mm, can't put it on my credit card because of like banking issues right now. Can you just do that? Like pay for the plane tickets or whatever mm-hmm. or the hotel. And st- it, like it was a known thing with her, but nobody really talked about it. Anna wanted to get started as quickly as possible on building the Anna Delvey Foundation or ADF as it was commonly called. So she needed the fir- to find the perfect space which she thought she found it at the corner of Park Avenue and 22nd. She planned on renting several floors of the historic church mission house and immediately began bringing advisors in to help her plan out the design of her empire. She was eager to sign the lease, but she was having trouble accessing her trust fund, so she began looking for outside funding. She was put in touch with Andy Lance, whose praises she would sing to reporters, everybody. She specifically talked about how he was always there for her no matter what was going on in his life and how he always spoke to her as a respected fellow adult and not in a condescending way. Andy helped her get in touch with numerous hedge fund managers and financiers all over the country. She was trying to secure $25 million in investments to go along with the $25 million she said she already had. When one of these financial institutions reached out for further verification of her funds prior to approving a loan, they received a list of financial figures from a man named Peter Hennigy through an AOL account. Of course, this loan provider has some questions. First of all, who is Peter Hennigy? If he worked for the bank that was supposed to hold her assets, why was he using an AOL address? Mm -hmm. And more importantly, why send a list of financial figures like in an Excel spreadsheet because it proved nothing. Yeah, yeah. Where are the actual bank statements? The answers were supposedly all very simple. Anna explained that Peter Hennigy was the financial manager for her family, and the list of financial figures were what he was able to provide for right now. There are time differences, so it'd be a while before he could get official copies of the statements. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to provide them with as much information while they were waiting. Well, do that so then. <laughs> Ultimately, this financial institution decided not to go forward with the loan. They got a kind of a bad taste. Yeah. This didn't discourage Anna, though. She decided to go on an escape with a friend, a personal trainer, Casey Duke, and a videographer to document the experience. She was planning on staying in Marrakesh and securing funding for her foundation and wanted to make a behind-the-scenes video about the whole process of setting it up and doing all the things, she was super confident that it would be no problem. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, her friend wasn't able to go oh, because she couldn't get the time off from work. Mm-hmm. When she broke the news, Anna told her she should just quit her job and come work as her assistant and that she would take care of her. No, I'll do it, friend. Yeah, the girl who gave this interview was like, I talked to my mom about it, and my mom was like, don't do it. Like, Super don't do it. Things don't come for free, and you have a sure thing in your job right now. Don't. Yeah. Don't do that. Things don't add up. Anna and the others still took a trip, but two days in, Casey Duke came down with a terrible case of food poisoning and had to go home. It was a couple days later that Anna put in a call to Casey in tears. Her credit cards weren't working and the hotel was threatening to call the police on her. She begged for help, and though she went back and forth, eventually she decided to help. However, Casey's cards didn't go through either, which then led the hotel to admit the problem must be on their end. Anna was allowed to go on the promise she would pay what she owed once they were able to process cards Mm -hmm. again. While she was on this trip, though, tragedy struck her personal life. Oh, no. The hotel she'd been living at for over a month, Eleven Howard, kicked her out due to violating their payment policy. At first, they didn't take a credit card from her as she explained the complexities of her finances and how she would be paying with a wire transfer instead. Mm Mm-hmm. After weeks of non-payment, the hotel told her she had to pay her bill and put a card on file or leave. The total of her bill at that point for her month's day was $30,000. After just a couple days, it was paid via wire transfer as promised. Mm -hmm. But she wouldn't give them a credit card number that actually worked that they could keep on file. So when she arrived back, she began bouncing from hotel to hotel, staying for short periods of time before being kicked out for the same thing Mm -hmm. she was kicked out of at 11 Howard, not having a functional form of payment on file. After months of this, Anna was struggling and went back to Casey for help. She needed support and didn't have anywhere else to turn to and was effectively homeless. Casey gave her a place to sleep for the night, but texted her friend Rachel Williams to discuss the situation. Rachel also knew Anna, and their conversation quickly opened Casey's eyes to a different side of Anna, because Casey was seeing Anna as like, oh, this girl having a tough time, finances, Mm -hmm. damn. Well, you see. (laughs) Not the case. Back during that trip to Marrakesh, Anna stayed in an extremely high-end hotel for the first two nights. When she tried to check out for that one, her credit cards weren't functional. She cried. But when the hotel threatened her with some harsh, harsh repercussions, she called Rachel to ask for help. See, this was a different hotel than she had called mm-hmm. to ask um, Casey to help her with. Rachel Williams ended up footing the entire $62,000 bill, which is more than she made in a year. And she put it on her company's American Express card. Okay. Yeah. Bold choice. Anna promised it would be no problem to pay her back because she has all this money. (sighs) Rachel was promised a wire transfer for the funds, but she only received partial payment and then nothing else, leaving her more than $50,000 in debt. Once Casey realized the ways that Anna had been taking advantage of her, she decided to cut contact. The next morning, she sent Anna out into the world to fix her problems and lock the door behind her. But Anna strategically left her laptop behind so she would have an excuse to get back into Casey's apartment. Casey noticed this and left it at the front desk so she couldn't Mm -hmm. have any excuse to go back. Over the next few weeks, 
Anna would burn more bridges in various hotels across New York. And finally, the Beekman and W Hotel filed charges against Anna for theft of services. Her story was splashed across the tabloids, but it only seemed to fuel Anna to continue pursuit of a loan or business sponsor that would give her the millions that she needed for her foundation. She continued to think everything would be fine once she signed the lease for her ADF space. Problem is, at this point, that space she wanted was rented out by another business. Mm. But she was still like, oh no, I'm going to get it. Mm -hmm. And everybody's like, you're lying and you're stealing our money, but you keep saying, oh no, I have all this money and I'm going to have that space. So like, what the fuck? Financial institutions began to come forward, exposing fraudulent activity that Anna had participated in or done. She created fake bank statements to send to financial institutions while she was asking for loans. People tried to email Peter Henneke, and when he wouldn't answer, they'd ask Anna why her why he wasn't. He was her financial manager, supposedly. Mm-hmm. She told them, oh, he just died. Don't talk to me about him anymore. Oh. Yeah. That's abrupt. Real quick. It became evident that Anna had spent a considerable amount of time stringing together an intricate web of finances. So she would request a loan from a bank using fraudulent statements showing millions in accounts in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. When you have millions, it's not impossible to get thousands in loans easily. So she would do the same thing Charles Ponzi did. She would use those loans to pay off other loans. Then she got the brilliant idea to write bad checks from one account into another account. She would wire as much money out out of the account Mm -hmm. that the check had been deposited in before the bank realized the funds weren't there and stopped it. That's how she was able to pay off her initial $30,000 statement at 11 Howard. Mm -hmm. So basically write a check for $100,000 but get $50,000 or $60,000 out of the account. This is why everything with Anna was either through wire transfers or cash, she didn't actually have any real lines of credit. Yeah. I know this may come as a shock, but she did not have a $25 million trust fund. (gasps) That's just what she told people and other institutions. Was she even from Germany? So that, oh, just you wait. (laughs) So that they would feel comfortable loaning her money. That's exciting. Yeah. I should try this sometime. (laughs) I'll just make a new life for myself. (laughs) Anna's plan was to meet the right people, and insert herself of in the right parties, yeah. spinning the story of the German heiress. People would trust her and sympathize with her money transfer issues and wouldn't really question why she wasn't paying them back immediately because they knew she had this issue. Poor rich girl. Oh. And also, when you're rich, apparently it's easy to forget that somebody owes you $3,000 when you're used to working in hundreds of thousands, I guess. Don't ask me. That's what everybody said in their Kat, do you know what I would do with $3,000? Oh, my God. Which is not even that much. But just like... I know. The things I could do with $3,000. <laughs> shit, dude. That's that's how poor me and Tiffany are. Yeah. <laughs> so if any sponsors are out there... 3000 really could get us somewhere. <laughs> truly. When the truth came out about all of these fraudulent activities and all of these scams that she was running on other New York socialites, Mm -hmm. as well as New York businesses. It came to light that Anna Delvey was actually Anna Sorokin, who was born and spent most of her childhood in Russia. Oh. Prior to moving to Germany at 16. She was not an heiress, Mm -hmm. but 
an intelligent woman who had conned more than $400,000 worth of money and services from various people, banks, and businesses, and was on track to receive a $22 million loan thanks to her forged bank statements. So she would have gotten away with all of it Mm -hmm. if it had been able to go on for just a couple more weeks. Yeah. The actual amount she conned people out of over the years could be well over a million dollars and it is estimated to be well over a million dollars because like if you include the trips private jet rentals oh yeah she was known she would book luxury dinner parties and then be like the first one to leave her own dinner party (laughs) and then somebody else would be stuck paying this thousands of dollar bill Uh, that's terrible yeah so she was arrested good yeah and after a month-long trial the jury found delvey Guilty of four counts of theft of services, mm-hmm. three counts of grand larceny, and one count of attempted grand larceny. Mm. She was acquitted of the one count of grand larceny and one count of attempted grand larceny, and was sentenced from four to 12 years in prison. She was also fined $24,000 and forced to pay a restitution totaling $199,000. She does face deportation when she's released. But she plans on fighting it because she's like, I deserve to be here and I have a great business plan. People just weren't respecting me. That's it. That's the issue. She lacked respect. She lacked respect. So she needed to steal and con (laughs) money from people. (laughs) And there are so many people, they're like, yeah, like she was just a friend of a friend. Yeah. It's kind of how it started. Like, she knew one person, and then that one person got her into a party where she met all these other people. That had money? Uh Uh-huh. And then she just slowly worked her way into the social scene, and everybody's like... She's the real-life Dan Humphrey. Right. She was keeping up (laughs) with all the shit. She was buying all designer clothes. She was doing the damn thing. She almost did it. She almost did it. Almost. She almost got $22 million based on fraudulent... God, what would you do with that money? With $22 million? Yeah. Holy shit, dude. What's the first thing you do with that money? Pay off all my debts. You had you would have so much left over. I know. I only have like four... I have like $4,000 in credit card debt. Well, I have some school debt. Yeah. I would pay off that. Um, Plus my house. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, a little, would, I'm a little bit more than four grand. <laughs> I would buy a house. Yeah. I would buy another I would house. buy a second. I would buy a vacation house. I somewhere. was going to say, what I would love to do if I had, like, that kind of startup capital. Mm-hmm. Like. The escape room business. Well, that. <laughs> and also, like, fucking real estate. Like, I would get yeah. real estate because real estate is, like, the most solid investment that you can make. I would, want a, I would want a house in Nashville. I would want a house in New York. I would want, like, in an apartment. That would be so expensive, though. And you'd only be there for, like... I would be there so much if I had $22 million. You wouldn't work? I would still work. I mean, I would still work, but Like, I'd still finish my degree and... I would not work full-time. I wouldn't know what to do with myself if I didn't work full-time. I would be so tan and so hot. Because I would just (laughs) go to the gym. You would just buy your own gym, basically. Exactly. I would have an in-home gym. Fuck. I would have a personal trainer. That's what I would do. And I would just invest. I would pay off. I would pay off debts, and I would invest. It's not that exciting, I guess, but I would be happy. I would want to take a trip, but, like, you can't. Cause, well, like, you can, but, like, right. I wouldn't want to right now. Right now, like, yeah. <laughs> if, right now, I had well, that kind of I'm money. Saying. Like, I would invest it, and then whenever I can travel again. Yes. 
I'm kind of yeah. like, if I start saving my pennies right now, by the time I'm 30, I should be able to take a really good trip. And by then, hopefully the world's open again. That's five years from now. So I would hope the world's open by then so that I can travel. Yeah. Did you know we might have another, well, not another, we might have an official four to six week long lockdown? Yes. I saw that. <sighs> would you still work? I don't know. Because technically, like, you you are... We're considered an essential business, so yes. I would still have to work. Right. Even if they didn't go to their place of employment, I would still have to come to, like, help with their children so right. they can still run their business from home. Right. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah. Does that mean grocery stores are closed? Um, what does this mean? I was going to say, uh, based. <laughs> this is purely based on what I've seen on Reddit, mm-hmm. which is... Not the greatest well source of information. We don't have much information it's right true. now anyways. So I feel like the smartest thing to do is basically just do what every other country that has Yeah, I guess I don't know what better. other countries did. So like full lockdown, but like grocery stores are open, but only for like pickup. So you don't oh, have as much like... still what I do. Right. So, well, like, so you don't have as much cross-contamination. Yeah. Um, also technically like... Like, when I do pick up at grocery stores, like, at Aldi and at Walmart, um, they don't, we don't, like, they come and put the right. stuff in the back of my car. Like, exactly. they don't even come and up to, like, my window or anything. That's what they do in, all, in other countries that are having better numbers. Like, because, like, the grocery store alone is just a huge source of, like, bacteria and mm-hmm. germ transfer. Oh, my God. I went out yesterday. It was, I was so overstimulated and overwhelmed by the crowds of people everywhere. Yeah. And I was like, my God, I need to go. I need to get out of here I right now. I need to go home. Like, it was like after five. And I was like, cool, obviously, there will be nobody out. Yeah. I was so wrong. Surprise, bitch. <laughs> oh, God. Everybody's out. Everybody's losing their mind. I just, I'm just, regardless of your opinion on it, let's all take a look at what New Zealand did. They locked the fuck down. For a few weeks, there's, and now they're back to normal life. There's a YouTuber I watch, and I think she's, like, in Australia, but where she lives in Australia, like, they're fully open again. Like, they have, like, right. next to no cases. Like, she, because she does a lot of, like, horror movie reviews and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think she lives in Australia. She can go to the theater again. Like, it is fully open and functioning. Yeah. Like, yeah, she um, says she's very fortunate, but, like, there was, Jesus. I saw a TikTok video across on my Instagram, mm-hmm. and it was, like, imagine like remember being at concerts last oh, yeah. year and then it's like surprise this is new zealand this is happening right now because we like are on our shit and i'm like cool nice for you guys not that americans don't try some of them don't well <laughs> i mean also the fact that are no one it's like they're in charge of our government i was gonna say there's been no standardized system and until there's a standardized system and guidelines in place there's going to be an actual enforcement of it. Mm-hmm. Like, there's going to be no improvement because as long as you still have a handful of people just dicking around, you're not going to, like, it's not going to get better. Yeah. And, that's- and also there's a spike now in schools because of Halloween. Yep. Yeah. Because it takes about two Fucking weeks. whoops, guys. <laughs> if only someone could have predicted it. I just... I want it to be over so badly. Do I want it to I be am over? so tired of, like, this is, I know, the bitchiest thing to say. But I'm tired of having swamp face. 
because it's still fucking humid here in South Carolina. Well, and also you walk, the fact is like and it's rainy and you walk outside and then it's just muggy and then you're breathing and then this I don't have to wear a mask like most of the time. Well, so. I do. And it's terrible. I go to, it's I go to work. I, I don't need to wear it at work because like. Yeah, you guys aren't exposed to anybody. The kids go to school, they wear masks, but I mean, right. it's not like. Right. No, I have to wear a mask all the time at work. Like we have very strict policies. And yeah, like I'll go outside to talk to owners because they won't answer their phone. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like sweating all over my body nope. and my face. Nope. nope I guess nope. that's what it feels like to have Alex was breaking out really bad because of it. Yeah. I like around like where his mask lays. I, at first, I had that problem. Like, I, which seems really stupid since like there are nurses and doctors who like had blisters and shit, and we're over here right. complaining about oh breakouts. God. And right. like, <laughs> obviously, we understand this is not. We a real do problem. understand <laughs> that this is just us being bitchy. That's why I said at the beginning, this is going to sound bitchy. There are definitely people who have it worse, and we're super appreciative of them. Yeah. Also, like I've known people who've had it, and they aren't. They don't end up in the hospital or dying. So like. It. I know people from both sides. Like, I know people who have had it and then are fine. And then I know, like, a friend of mine, um, her dad is hospitalized with it right now. See, I have not, like, Mark had it and was fine. He was like, yeah, I had a, like, sore throat. Yeah. And he felt terrible, but, like. I was going to say. It's this. really difficult to take it seriously when you are talking to someone who literally had it. And they're like, yeah, it's kind of shitty, but, like. Yeah, I am. Um, Yeah, there are girls, there are people at work who had it, and yeah, it was just, like, a sore throat. Yeah. And that was it. And then, like I said, but I like, guess actually two separate friends of mine, like, their dads have been hospitalized. Um, one of them was, like, he had, like, almost scary. delirium. Oh, like, he God. was falling over and, like, just falling over and we'd be on the floor for, like, hours until, like, his wife came home. Yeah. And then he would have no memory of it. And so it was, like, what's happening? Like, they were concerned that he was, like, having a stroke or something. And mm-hmm. then it was, like, he has the Rona. Mm-hmm. Like, God damn it. I told Alex, it's I won't get everything. a test for it. But if I can't smell or taste anything, the only way I'll know that I have it is if I can throw back a shot of tequila and not gag on it. <laughs> That's how I'll know. That'll be your And I won't test. need to go to the doctor. I'll be, like, okay, I'm going to quarantine now because I have it. <laughs> There's no other reason for this. Like, sober. Not, like, All I've right. been drinking and obviously can't. Can I'm handle not aware it. of anything. Right. Yeah, no, just straight up, just ten a.m. on the damn thing. <laughs> yeah, before coffee, even. Oh God, <laughs> if I can do it, not gag, I'm I'm dying. That's what is wrong with me. Nice. <sighs> so yeah, scammers gonna scam. I hope we get up. Like, <laughs> I hope we just get done with this thing, this COVID thing. I'm ready to go back to regular life. I mean, regular life hasn't really changed here in the States. I mean, traveling, you can't really travel. And, like, there are things you can't do, but, like... Right. No one's really stopped us from doing anything, (laughs) technically. I mean... I just, like, I mean, like... But I also feel the same. I I don't like having to wear... I don't like wearing a mask. I don't have to... (laughs) I, I have anxiety wearing a I mask. I was going to say, I'm tired of having to overanalyze every social situation yes. before I enter it. Because it's like things that I normally wouldn't or give people. a second. Right. I normally wouldn't give a second thought to. But it's like, oh, maybe not. I'm See, like, so I don't know if we've talked about it. But 
I have always been the sick friend because I work so close with children. Like yep. at least I like once a month, at least once a month, at I'm least. super sick. <laughs> like I'm down for the count, super sick. I have not been sick once this year. Damn. And I don't know if it's because I'm working with one I family. I was going say, you're working with one family. Or the fact that everyone is just so afraid of getting sick yeah. that, like, they're being extra clean, which that's what you should be to begin right. with. <laughs> like, right. personal hygiene. But, yeah, I've not been sick. I felt mentally drained, which makes me feel sick. Right. But, like, not actually sick. And so, like, I'm thankful for that. <laughs> yeah. There are... Like, it's easy to focus on the negatives of quarantine also, but, like... It hasn't changed my life too much. There are also some people, like... There are some people who have, like, talked about how quarantine was the best thing that ever happened to them. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, like, it gave them a chance to, like, refocus, recenter, refigure out who they are as a person. Yeah. So I definitely think, like, like, it's easy to sit here and complain about it. I kicked the chair. That okay. Was it's not a ghost. Okay. I was like, uh. Well, I just saw a squirrel on your fence, and I was like, holy shit, did he, like. <laughs> that's that's a telekinetic squirrel back right. there, you know? We, his name's Je- not Gerald. Sorry, we named Jerry. We already have a Gerald animal nearby. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. COVID is, it sucks. It's super real. Wearing a mask is not a political statement. No. It's called just. Trying to be a decent human. It doesn't matter if you like it. Do you want to be a murderer? Really like is I the said, question. Right. Like, I'm complaining about swamp face, but you know what? I'd rather have swamp face I have than anxiety be responsible wearing it, for someone and I'm else. Still, yeah, like, I'm not going to kill somebody. because of it. Exactly. <laughs> no. That's terrible. Like, I work with kids. If one of the kids I watched got sick and ended up in a hospital because right. I can't get my shit together, that's super not... Yeah. Also, what, like... Grow up hair and get over it, kind of. <laughs> what does it hurt you? How does it hurt you? These I'm videos I see of also, people. What? I'm getting so... There's something I saw on Facebook, and it was basically like people are coming up with these cards that look like official, that are like, I'm exempt from wearing a mask no, you're not. because of health reasons. What health reasons? And I'm like, bitch, I know like multiple people personally who have like really severe asthma. Mm-hmm. And they wear their mask, no fucking problem. Yeah, so I want to know, like, what health... Right. How... And if they're that bad, should you be out? Exactly. That's the other thing. If your health (laughs) issues are so severe... You can't wear a mask? Then you don't need to be out in public. This is a disease that affects, like... Your respiratory issues. Yeah. So if your respiratory system is already weak, how do this make sense? And then why would you not want to wear a mask? Right. Right. (laughs) And then people are like, well, if you're so concerned about it, your mask protects you and that's all you need to worry about. It's like, but no, no. I'm worried about other people beside myself. I'm sorry for not being a selfish prick. Didn't realize that was a thing I had to apologize for, but okay. Uh, yeah. So, anyways, that's a whole rant. It was indeed a whole rant. Um, but yeah, so. If you want more rants, where can you find us? If you want more rants, you can find us on. Our Instagram at Luminol Cocktail Pod. And on Facebook, Luminol Cocktail Podcast. Yes. And our website is luminolcocktail.com. And I have some really fun things potentially coming soon. Oh. We will be back next week to serve you guys another round of Luminol Cocktails. Mm-hmm.